Well, the number of years ago that felt like it was a great thing to start with the Psalms, uh, or to work through the Psalms, uh, one by one, from the start to finish, in between our biggest sermon series, particularly at the start of the year in January. I think the Psalms capture life well. Suffering, joys, no matter what comes our way, Christ uh, is who we depend upon, or the triune God is who we rely upon. And Psalm 18 really couldn't be any better. I think at the end of January we'll hit Psalm 19 as well, and, and they really help us uh, centre our life and centre our year around what is of most importance, God and His vision, His kingdom, uh, His will for our life. So I want to start the year by uh, doing what Psalm 18 does and reflect upon the, 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 a period of life for David, uh, particularly the period of life where he was fleeing from Saul, King Saul, but then also uh, after afterwards his son Absalom. And it's really a re- retrospect. It's, it's reflective of what God has done. And no matter if it's in his victory or in, the, in what appears to be his failings or his falling, he can see God everywhere. The rock that he hides in is by God's will and God's design. The fortress that is probably just a cave that he is uh, taking shelter in was from the hand of God. And uh, in the victory, when he bends the bow of bronze or climbs up wall, he attributes to God. So I just pray through something as a way of reflection of 2022 and a way of looking forward to 2023 and, and asking God to really uh, help us to trust Him in the trials and in the suffering, but also in the victory, that our life will be all for His glory as it ought to be. So join with me as we pray through this psalm. To, to read them off this page in such depth as David writes almost feels like hypocrisy at times. And Lord, we repent of the times we have not loved you in this past year, God. We repent when we have not seen you as our strength, but we've taken the initiative, initiative upon ourselves and depended upon our own strength. Lord, we ask that we would come and call to you as David has here. Lord, you are worthy of praise, yet so often we seek praise for ourselves. We see, Lord, in, in this psalm that when David called upon you, you saved him from his enemies. Would we have such confidence? As we think of last year and the times, Lord, where we have not called it out to you, And as we think of the words of James that say, you do not have because you do not ask. Lord, would we repent of our dependence upon ourselves? And Lord, this coming year would we come in the freedom of knowing our weakness. And may that manifest itself in a dependent prayer life upon you. Knowing, Lord, full well that you are God who acts. 
Lord, in the past year there have probably been times where we feel like death has encompassed us, where we felt sluggish in our faith, where we felt apathetic to the things that you would have us care most about. Lord, when we think of death encompassing us, we know that it is the flesh and its desires. That we are giving over to our life of death when we go after what the flesh wants. So Lord, may you turn our covetous eyes and the lusts and passions of our heart away from self and make them dim. May you turn us to Christ, the true treasure our true portion. Lord, as we look at this psalm and we see David manifest this beautiful picture and terrifying picture of your glory, we see you clearly through how you have revealed yourself in Scripture. Would we not fashion you into an image we would prefer? Would we not focus on one dimension of your character? But would we ever grow in an increase of a knowledge of you and a knowledge that is accurate and based on the truth of your word? May your character, attributes, beauties and excellencies that you have revealed to us be our absolute delight. Lord, we thank you how you have shown us mercy this past year. How you have made your word bear fruit in our life, caused our marriages to strengthen, our vision for children to grow deeper, that we would have a great uh, desire to disciple them according to your promises and to see them raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Lord, how your word has caused us to be content in loneliness. We thank you for these things. That like David, you have caused us to bend the bow of bronze and leap over a wall. Lord, in saying that you have given us strength to do what seemed impossible at one, one time in our life. Lord, as we look forward to 2023, as we think of the times our flesh will rule over us when our heart and flesh may fail, we know that you are enough, that our strength should solely be in you. Lord, will we be like David in our mindset to have a victor mentality, that nothing is impossible for those who stand with Yahweh, their God? Would we not be victors, wallowing about the problems of the world and doing nothing to solve them? But would we be victors? Knowing the problems are too big for us, but knowing that we stand with the God who is our strength and our might, who can do the impossible. And through small steps of obedience in the ordinary mundane aspects of life, Lord, will we see the impossible take place. As we start schooling our children, Lord, would you increase our capacity to learn? Would these children come to grasp your word in fullness? As we minister to the people in this neighborhood, 
Lord, we see those who seem so wicked and vile and so far from you turn from their evils and put their faith in Christ. Their only hope is salvation. <coughs> we see your kingdom come to this city and nation as it continues down the secular route of uprooting family and throwing out gender and promoting murder. Lord, would you give us the strength to stand firm upon your word, to not doubt, but to know that you are our stronghold, our deliverer, our refuge, the horn of our salvation. And if you are the horn of our salvation, we know that the horn of salvation will blow in victory and we stand with Christ in victory. So Lord, I pray that through all this year has for us, may we be victors, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord, as we will see in this passage. May we see your strength in the midst of sorrow, trial and suffering. May we see your strength bending bows of bronze and leaping over the wall. May your name be glorified in our life and Christ be exalted. May we grow in holiness and maturity in 2023 and may your kingdom be firmly established here in this town and city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, let's continue to read Psalm 18 and then we'll unpack it as we normally do. We got up to verse 25, and we'll pick up from there, and then I'll go back and read verses 1 to 3, which is what I'll preach on this morning. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, uh, with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you show yourself. You show yourself, you make yourself seem torturous. For you have you have saved their humble people, but the haughty eyes you have brought down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my ways blameless, who made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights, who trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand has supported me, and your, gentle, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I, called, I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through, so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their back to me, and those who hate me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, 
but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mark on the ground, on the streets. You delivered me from strife with, his, with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling at their, at their fortresses. The Lord lives. And blessed be my God, my rock. Exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. Who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, who exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And verses 1 to 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God for guidance as we unpack. Once again, is fleeing from his enemies. 
Uh, this is the life of David. Uh, right at the end of David's life, he does something that God was not pleased with, and God says, you choose which way you're going to be punished. Uh, a famine, pestilence, or you, can be or you can be pursued by your enemies. And David doesn't choose. All he says is, don't put me into the hands of people. Don't put me into the hands of people because they are not merciful like you. So in other words, I don't want to be running from my enemies anymore. I've done that all my life. Give me something else. And he gets pestilence and 70,000 Israelites die. Huge judgment upon David. Uh, but we see David knows what it means to run from enemies. He knows what it means to be under the uh, uh, feeling that hatred and the warfare of people. He knows what it means to be persecuted, so to speak. And whether we read it here in Psalm 18 or uh, 2 Samuel 22, we see this song uh, is a song that I believe, uh, and, and, and the scholars believe that this was something Israel sung often in victory. You know, they had victory marches, we think of Psalm 46 or uh, Psalm 46 going into war, the whole army would be chanting this war song as they went. Well, there were songs that they would sing on the way home. And Psalm 18 is a song that they would sing on the way home from war. Uh, David wrote it after Saul, but it was used so often that it's penned at the end of David's life in 2 Samuel 22 as well, with some, some differences. We're not going to get too bogged down in the differences today because there is a lot to look at in these first three verses. What we know about David is he is not a king who grew back of his people. He was a king in every way tested by God. We are told that he was a man after God's own heart, uh, and God tested that heart. We see this in, of course, 1 Peter. We've, we've seen in 1 Peter 1, as we've looked at over the past couple of months, uh, that God is going to test you. He's going to test that your faith is true, which is more precious than God. And although David was stated as being a man after God's own heart, which is the very heart that God gave him, God is still going to test that. And there is pretty much no other man that probably was tested as much as David was. We know that the only time when he was idle and chose to be idle and not go out to war, which is what he should be doing, he fell into sin, grievous sin, adultery and murder. Yet he repented, because a man after God's own heart will repent and confess their sin freely, and God restored him to righteousness. We see that David, no matter if it's Saul or Absalom or anyone else who is uh, his enemy, he's always for them. If we think of Saul, Saul was anointed king, and David had twice the opportunities to kill Saul. And he said, I will not harm the Lord the Lord. If God will take Saul out of the picture, then he will be king. But David himself was not going to do it. And Absalom, twice people said, I can go and kill Absalom. And he said, maybe this is the Lord's will. Let it be. That was a man after God's own heart. That he knew that God's plan meant that he would suffer and be tested in order that he would grow in his righteousness and in his ability to do the task that God had uh, planned for him. This, this psalm really does challenge us to think about the view of God and his work. It calls us to question our love for God, our prayer life. And it makes us question, do you see yourself as a victor 
or a victim? Do you see yourself as a victor or a victim? And we're going to see that David only ever saw himself, apart from a few very depressing psalms, but we're not going to get, get to those today, as a victor. So, verse, verse, first verse, I love you, O Lord, my strength. David starts his song of praise with a phrase meant for a beloved. We know very well that the Christian image of God and his people is the picture of marriage. The whole purpose of marriage, the reason marriage was created, was to reflect God's love for his people. It's not the other way around. Marriage was created to reflect God's love for his people, and we see that in the pinnacle of Christ dying on the cross for his bride. And here we see a phrase meant by the beloved, by the lover, to the beloved, like in the song of Solomon, I love you. This word comes from, uh, this phrase comes from an inner burning within them. The way they would talk about this is the feeling of nervousness in their bowels. So when they would say, I love you, it was coming from the, 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 the stomach area because they felt something physical about the way they loved someone. The nervousness as they went on the first dates or they proposed to their beloved. Here we see David express this to his God. I love you, O Lord. The love for God that we all should have. A love for God that is, 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 is challenging for us to think about. And he also expresses God not with any other name, not Elohim, which is uh, a, a name that could be used for angels, but with his covenant name, a personal name which he gave to Moses and to Israel, Yahweh. I love you, O Yahweh, the one who keeps his promises and is faithful. But this love is not just a feeling. We know full well that love in the scriptures is not something that just happens. But it's something that we must work on. That love comes from the mind to the heart and out our hands. Love is a choice. We look at John 15, 13, when Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus states that love, love is a choosing to give yourself up for someone. Love is an action that will play out in your life. We know this from 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage of love. It is all to do with discipline. Love is patient and kind. Love does not jealous or envy. Love does not keep records of wrong. That is a decision to make. You don't naturally decide, I'm not going to keep records of wrong. You need to decide to do that. Decide to put things away. For 1 Peter 3, as we looked at not long ago, husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. That is, we must know her. If you can't, you can't live with someone if you don't understand them, you can't, uh, you can't love them if you don't understand them, and we ought to know them. So we're looking at this phrase from David, I love you, O Yahweh. We need to think about what it means to grow in love for God. And the first place we must be is that we must grow in our knowledge of who he is. I can't remember which Puritan said it, but if you buy books from reformers, you'll get it on a bookmark at some point. It says, the heart loves what the mind studies most. The heart loves 
mind studies most. So just ponder in your heart the things you think about most. Your ponderings, your musings, the, the fueling of your mind, the social media that you consume, the, the TV or TV shows that you consume. Your heart loves what your mind is absorbed most. So our love for God starts with an ever-increasing knowledge of Him. And the knowledge that we are to build upon is the knowledge that has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. We cannot fashion for ourselves what we think God is like. God has revealed Himself as He wants to be seen. And He hasn't given us any room to change that image. Listen to the way David gives us an image of God in verses 7 to 15. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because of his anger. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Blowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was around his feet. He rode on a cherubim flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. This is the God whom David loves. This is how he, he paints him, and, and we get this picture. He also says that later on down here that your right hand supports me, your gentleness makes me great. Uh, we know that God is this infinite character. He is he, he has more than we can ever imagine or understand about him. And we need to be really careful that we don't focus in one-dimensionally on God. There was, a, there was a book that came out, many of us have read it, Gentle and Lonely. It's a fine book, but it's one-dimensional. We need to be careful when we read these books that we don't just say that this is who Christ is or this is who God is. Because God is primarily holy. And every attribute and characteristic of God should have holy before it. He is holy gentle and holy lowly. Which means his gentleness is actually terrifying to us because it is set apart from any gentleness we've ever experienced. And his loneliness is actually terrifying to us because we don't understand what his loneliness actually is. So when we're looking at Christ and God and the triune God, we need to grow in a knowledge to love the God of the Scriptures as, as He defines Himself fully and not one-dimensional. You can't take gentle and lowly and absorb yourself in a Christ who is only gentle and lowly when He is the God who is going to have a sword come out of His mouth and judge the living and the dead. God is both gentle, yet He is just. God is both lowly, but he is righteous. Listen to the Westminster Confession of Faith when it states on God. It says this. There is but only one living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible. Almighty, most wise, most holy, 
eternal, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutability and most righteous and the most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, trespasses and sins, the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and the most just and terrifying in his judgment, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the God in whom David loved. Is it the God whom you love? Or are we breaking the first commandment and making a God that we love? A God that we're pleased with, a God that we enjoy to be around, more than the God of the scriptures. If you along with David say, I love you, O Yahweh, you are acknowledging the fullness of God on the scriptures. The one who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The one who destroyed Egypt. The one who sent Israel into exile because they were unfaithful. The one who destroyed the temple in AD 70. The one who will come and judge the living and the dead. Yes, he is loving and gracious. But yes, he is just and righteous as well. The picture we see that David paints in Psalm 18 is a terrifying picture of God. The beginning of wisdom, as the Proverbs tell us, is the fear of God. There is something about God that we should fear. It is his holiness. His holiness. The fact that he is set apart and utterly unique. So if we are to love Yahweh like David loves Yahweh, we ought to grow in the knowledge and the fullness of God. As the Westminster Confession states, that he is incomprehensible. Your lifetime isn't enough to study him. Your lifetime isn't enough to fall in love with him. And you will have all eternity to do so if you're in Christ. Following that is our action. Our mind fuels our heart to love, but from our heart we should uh, have theology on our fingertips, as Doug Wilson says. It has to come out in action. We are a saved by faith but it produces works in us. We are to become righteous. We're counted righteous in heaven and God is going to bring us to righteousness and therefore Jesus says, if you love me in John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. Matthew 22, 38 and 40, we see the greatest two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. This is the first and great commandment. And second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then we must read verse 40 every time we read this. On these depends, on these two commandments depends the law and the prophets. Verse 40 is the key to understanding the two greatest commandments. If we are to understand what it means to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, we are to obey the commandments. We are not saved by obeying the commandments, we are saved by grace, but we are saved to the commandments of God. Christ has called us to righteousness so that we would be obedient to God's law and know how we ought to love Him. The first four commandments tell us how we are to love God. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not make a carved image. 
Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. There's four ways we are to love God as David loved God. But not only is it just the Ten Commandments, but Deuteronomy, the prophets. The prophets teach us and give us a picture of how Israel failed to love God. So often we're looking at Israel and they failed to love God the way God told them to love them. They had pride. They forgot the widow and the orphan. They rejected God's will, God's way, God's design. They rejected God's law. So if we are to be like David and say, like Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, we are to grow in the knowledge of the God of the Scriptures and to obey His commandments as Christ has given us the ability to do so through His death and resurrection. How do you love God? By knowing Him and obeying Him. It's a simple catechism. Question and answer. How do I love God? By knowing Him and obeying Him. We can all remember that in our lives. But the very first thing that David attributes to, to God is that He is my strength. The rest of the psalm will build upon what it means for, uh, for, for God to be his strength. We know that David is king, and probably at this point of writing this psalm, one of the most powerful nations of the time. Definitely by the end of David's lifetime, was Israel the most uh, powerful nation that supported on, uh, on earth? Yet in the prescript, David doesn't doesn't identify himself as the king of Israel. He identifies himself as the servant of God. What David valued more than his earthly status was who he was before God. I am your servant, and I will do whatever you have for me to do. It seemed that David, being a man after God's own heart, would have been content if he was just a shepherd boy that grew into a shepherd man and spent his day caring for sheep in the wilderness. David would have been content. Yet God's will for David's life was that he would be king, and not only just king, but king who brought peace to Israel. The psalm finishes with this declaration of all that God has done for him, and that he is king only because of God. When we read this first verse, just this very first verse, I love you, O Yahweh, my strength, what we are acknowledging is that everything I have in my life is because God has given me the strength to do so. You were not amazing and bright in order for you to get your job the way you did. It was because God wanted you to get there. Your strength, your status, your wealth is all from God. You did not choose to be born into a middle class household that lived in Australia. God chose and ordained. Just like David who can say, you are my strength. I'm acknowledging that you are the one who gives me all that I have. We should acknowledge the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for me. All circumstances. So the first way we can see this line, my strength, is to acknowledge that everything we have in life comes from God. The second way is how David continues on is to acknowledge that God can give us the strength to do the impossible. That 
The tasks that God has given us in life are actually not possible for us to do. But he gives us the strength to do so. And this is what David will go on to say. David didn't believe that he could beat Goliath on his own. We see that David goes up, sees Goliath, sees Goliath blaspheming God, and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who blasphemes the God of heaven? Or who defies the armies of God? And then he says, he doesn't say, I'll go and fight because I am strong or I am mighty. He was 15. He was a young, weedy boy. But he says, I know that the God who delivered me from the mouth of the bear and the mouth of the lion will deliver me from the hands of this uncircumcised Philistine. David knew that his strength to defeat Goliath was not in himself, which is why he didn't take the armor of Saul, which is why he didn't take Saul. Just some few pebbles from the stream. Every achievement in David's life, he acknowledges, comes from God. In verse 32 to 34, it says, The Lord who equipped me with strength and made me my way blameless. He made my feet like the deer and set me secure of life. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. How could David go out and fight against the Philistines and bring back 200 circumstances, uh, 200 forces? Because God was with him. That was it. Because God was on his side. He knew that the Lord, his God, fought for him. And the same is true for us. We live in the victory of Christ today. We are not living in a kingdom that is falling and perishing. We are living in a kingdom that is going to last forever and conquer all other kingdoms. It is in Daniel 2 where the rock from heaven is cut and smashes all the kingdoms of earth and this big mountain grows out of it, consuming the earth. We need to have a victor victor mentality like David. Tomorrow you will wake up and you will have tasks to do, ordinary tasks, to do in your life, but it's through those ordinary tasks in life that you are obedient to God. It's through the cleaning of the house, the making of beds, the raising of children, the faithful reading of the scriptures, the faithful praying for God to work in your life and sanctify you. It's through taking responsibility for your sin and confessing regularly to God and to others. You need God's strength to do this. When we say, I love you, O oh Lord, my strength, we need to wake up in the morning and say, God, you're my strength, and only by your strength will I be able to live holy and righteous today. If you're facing loneliness, if you're mothering and homemaking, if you're fathering and taking responsibility, if you're nursing or doctoring or teaching or uh, working in a trade, you need to do it in the strength of God. We're so competent in our Australian culture. We think we're so skilled and so knowledgeable that you actually can't do your job without God's help. You can't do it in a righteous, holy way. You can't do it for the kingdom of God, which we ought to seek first of all before anything else. Our day should start with a Psalm 18 that says, My strength is in you. 
should come and flow into our minds that we are victors and not victims. David went into every battle believing he could win. Why? Because the Lord is God fights for them. This is the echo to uh, Israel as they leave uh, Egypt and head into the promised land, repeated over and over again to Moses and Joseph, uh, Joshua, the Lord your God fights for you. Do we believe that we have the victory in Christ? We are more than conquerors in Christ. You see, that the victim looks at the world and looks at sin and says, oh, it's all too big for me. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to complain about it. So their, their prayers are more whingy and complaining and that it's pretty much a limited prayer life or a lack of a prayer life. The victor sees that the problem is too big for them and says, I love you, O Yahweh, in my strength. I know that for me. And as Israel looked at Goliath and saw how big he was and said, well, what can we do? And they just whinged and complained and were terrified and were almost going to surrender and thought a life of slavery was better than living, uh, was better than fighting against this giant. They were victims in their mentality. But David knew Goliath was too big for him and instead depended on God for his strength to fight. The same is true for us today. We have all the more reason, because the better David is on the throne. We have all the more reason to be victors, because the better David is on the throne today. God was not going to establish Israel and then not establish his church. God cares about his church. God loves his church. God's church are, are his people and he has set his king upon the throne and he is going to have dominion through his church. God is our strength. And David plays this out in verse 2. As he says, that God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, deliverer my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Do you see he's still the covenant name of God to remind us that God is faithful to his promises? He states that God is his rock, which is the most uh, used <laughs> metaphor for God in the Psalms. But there's two words. You'll notice rock is mentioned twice. There is rock that means cleft, a hiding place. And there's rock that means a firm foundation. What David is has realized is that his strength is not just when he's winning the battle, but also when he's taking shelter. When things are being thrown at him, accusations, slanderous comments, when Saul is hunting him down with his armored army, and the mountains that surround Jerusalem, he's hiding in the cleft of the rock, and he says, this very cleft was given to me by my strength, my God. When we're suffering and facing trials, do we see that the refuge that God has given us may be the person that we have in the church to talk to? 
a beautiful mountain to sit upon and ponder God. The ocean, hide it. Like David, when he looked around him and he suffering, he saw God's hand at work, even when it looked like he was losing. When we look around us, when we see God's strength given to us, his church, his word, the counsel from a brother or sister, your home, the bush, the ocean, whatever it may be, when we say, God, I am thankful that this is your strength given to me right now. This shelter, this cloud. When David saw the rock, that little cleft that he was hiding in as, he saw it as his fortress. It's just a small little cave, but to him, because God was his strength, it was a fortress. But notice that God isn't only the fortress and the safe place, the place we take refuge, he's also the firm foundation and our deliverer. Our defense at times will not last forever, but there will be offense. God will have victory. God will not lose. God's people will not be defeated. Ultimately, God's people will be delivered. He says, my shield, once again, defensive position, my and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Defensive position straight into victory, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will not be moved. God is our defense, but he's also our victory. The horn of our salvation. Even when David is in defensive positions, even when he's in the cleft or hiding in the rock, he still has a victor mentality. David believes that he is going to win. David believes that he is going to be victorious. And he doesn't believe he's going to be victorious because of himself, but because of God. We may be battered around, we may be bruised by the world, we may feel like we're being defeated by our flesh and the temptations of the world. But we are assured, assured that we have the horn of salvation. It is sound. The horn of salvation was the horn they blew when victory was won so that everyone could celebrate on the battlefield. Well, Christ is king today. The horn of salvation has been blown for the second last time, which is he will blow it again. David lived pre-Christ and had such assurance of his salvation. We live post-Christ and should have all the more reason to live as victors. I don't think we can go past Romans 8 and read this passage of great victory we have in Christ. From verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor light nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, if I could make one plea to you this year is to live in the victory that Christ the King has accomplished. To set our mind on being victors rather than being victims of this world. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are those who will have victory in Christ Jesus. That means we can have victory over the flesh, over sin, and over Satan, and over the world. We can have victory in our workplace. We can believe that our workplace can be claimed for Christ. We can believe that this city can be claimed for Christ. Because we are victors in Christ. David believed that he would be a victor. He trusted in the strength that God provided. And this psalm reads to be an extension forever. Listen to the last two verses. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and to his offspring forever. And to his offspring forever. So if David had victory, how much more will Christ and Christ's people have victory? Tomorrow you will wake up to do ordinary tasks. Monday, ordinary tasks. And those tasks have a kingdom of purpose behind it. You can dream big and start small because God's strength is with you. It's through small steps of obedience in the Monday, ordinary aspects of life that we will see God accomplish his kingdom. It's the mustard seed that we turned into a great garden plant. But all this leads to a question. Do you play, pray, like a victor or a victim? One of the evidence could be how often you pray. Do we pray about the small tasks in our life? The work that we have in the workplace, the work we have in the home, the work we have on the streets, whatever it may be. Are we doing it through prayer and the strength of God? Because David's verse here in verse 3 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, not I might be saved from my enemies, I am saved from my enemies. David has such assurance that he knows that when he calls upon Yahweh, whom he loves, God hears and acts. James tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
confronted by David's love for God and David's victorious attitude towards life. And it calls us to consider our prayer life. Do I call upon the Lord to see the impossible take place? Do I call upon the Lord with victory in mind? That strength that we have is strength that God has given us.